Popcorn scented lube. Wow. Ooh. And toys that make the sound of the Netflix drum. Wow. When you come. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. And then your housemates are like, what's going on? You're like, nothing. Just watching Netflix. Hello, I'm Jen Fricker. And hello, I'm Alexi Toliopoulos. And this is Lived It, the podcast where we speak to everyday Aussies and Kiwis who didn't just watch the show or movie everyone's banging on about, they lived it. And on today's episode, we are chatting about the brand new animated series, Human Resources, which is a spin-off of the beloved TV show, Big Mouth. Human resources is set in a workplace that's full of hormone monsters, depression kitties, shame wizards, and other creatures that help humans go through every aspect of life from puberty to parenthood and beyond. It's kind of like The Office, but a cartoon and a little bit weird and a little bit horny. (laughs) But before we get into it, let's have a little taste from the trailer. Welcome to Human Resources. Life down on Earth can be very complicated, and that's why people need us. You'll be assigned your human clients by the tube. You'll have the opportunity to work with creatures in many departments. Your team members will be hormone monsters. Uh Uh-oh, this is so odd. And she hasn't even used her tools yet. Shame wizard. Oh, your wife is texting you about picking up your daughter from school. Did you want me to respond? Love bugs. The love of your life is proposing to you at the Eiffel Tower. Depression, kitty. Honey, Leonardo DiCaprio called. He wants his blood diamond back. Logic rocks. Hey, Jeremy, there's no reason to stand up yet. I promise you, you will get off the plane. You are all essential workers who help make humans human. This is Human Resources. Well, I think what this show captures most is that it is actually pretty hard to be a freaking human sometimes. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't get any easier. The last few years have actually been mighty hard. I could use a little bit of human resources myself, <laughs> I'd say. Speaking of hard, <laughs> that's why we need our guest today. She's a sex coach and embodied therapist. Her name's Georgia Grace. And as you know and lived it, we like to talk to people that have moments from their real life reflect the shows that we see on Netflix. And I think that Georgia pretty much is a real-life human resources department all in one person. Yeah, she helps couples and groups become more aware of their bodies, sex and sexuality by teaching them practical tools which help people explore their thoughts, feelings and sensuality. Georgia, thank you so much for coming on our show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is a fun, weird little experience, I think. We're going to be talking about all the mucked up stuff in all the <laughs> sex, you know? The best bits. Talking like a guy that's never had sex before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's me. Yeah, you run at each other or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Georgia, what is it that you do? How do you describe your job? Yeah, so I'm a certified sex coach and basically what that means is I support individuals, couples and groups to have a fulfilling relationship with their own bodies and others. And I work in a few ways. I work in session with people and couples, supporting them with like particular concerns or areas of interest. But then I develop and run courses both Online, more so online now, (laughs) but basically everything I do is to have great conversations about sex that often people haven't really had the opportunity. What is the difference between a sex coach 
and a sex therapist? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I wow, think thank it- you so much. <laughs> you are an amazing journalist. Um, <laughs> I think from the outset, it can look really similar with the areas that we work with, even some of the approaches. But I guess the, the difference in the way that I work is my approaches through somatic sexology. So somatic basically means bringing awareness to the body and sexology means the scientific study of sex. And so what usually brings people to see you? What kind of problems they're having? Why are people coming in? Desire, uh, whether that's low desire, desire discrepancy, which means they have a different sort of urge for sex and their partner, whether they want it more or less. That's possibly one of the um, most common reasons actually couples will go to see a professional, whether that is a sexologist, sex therapist, or sex coach. Sexual function. So if that's being pre-orgasmic, so someone hasn't experienced orgasm before, premature ejaculation when they come too quickly, erectile dysfunction where they can't build arousal or experience erection, Uh, sexual confidence. That's a really big piece that I think a lot of people really work with and even um, the most sexually confident people will have moments in their life where they think, oh, wow, like, what well, you know, something's changed. I, I don't feel comfortable in asking for what I want or I don't know how to flirt anymore or I don't feel great in my body. And I, I do actually think that sexual confidence is this lifelong practice. And I say that without meaning it to be scary and like you'll you'll never ever get there but I think there are many things in life that affect our sexual confidence so that's particularly a common area or concern that people are identifying especially because a lot of us have been out of practice for so long. When you talk about sexual confidence it kind of like really reminds me of the show as well because like so much of the show Human Resources and and the Big Mouth series that it originally spun off does deal with those feelings of shame and not knowing if what I feel I'm into is normal. Just feeling weird as a human. Yeah, and uncomfortable in your own skin and stuff like that. I mean, how do you know if what you like is normal or not normal? Other than obviously <laughs> like not seeing things outside of the law, obviously. There's Duh, yeah. pretty cut. But just like what people are into. Yeah, does normal exist? Yeah. That's such a better way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think everyone wants to be normal when it comes to sex. And I think everyone has that fear. Oh, is it normal that I want to do this thing? Is it normal that I enjoy a finger up the butt? Is it normal that I need to use lube? Is it normal that I want to try this thing with a whole group of people? And yeah, it's totally normal. I think sexuality, eroticism, you know, who you are as an individual and what you're curious about, there have been many, 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 many people before you who have thought the same things, um, who've been curious. And, you know, when we talk about fantasies, it's really your mind wandering. It's your mind getting curious. And some people with their fantasies, they may use them for arousal and, and the think sexy thoughts to build arousal. They may masturbate with them. But for some people, it may just be this thought that pops into your head. And of course, like we have thoughts all the time. We 
think things that disgust us or scare us or inspire us. And it's the same with sexuality and sex. And yeah, I think you are, you are totally normal. And thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. And it's on the record now. And if anyone says, Otherwise, we can just point them. We to point this. them to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, you're both normal. Thank you're you fabulous, so and you're normal. Wow, wow, thank you. <laughs> you're thank more you. than normal. Wow. <laughs> oh, super normal. That's awesome. I love to hear that finally for the first time. Thank God. <laughs> you mentioned a bit before about how normalized it is getting to talk about sex in society. And, you know, you're saying like seeing how like sex toys have kind of exploded and everyone kind of has. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, I mean, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) if that has happened, yeah, then get a refund immediately. Um, But I was just like wondering what what do you think are like the essentials that people need in their bedrooms? Yeah. Wow, I love that. I think everyone will have their own idea of a different toolkit. And when I work with individuals, we we will look at, you know, what is your sexual wellness toolkit? I think lube is an absolute essential for everyone. And I think when people think about lube, they remember their first sexual experience and it was like a little bit sticky, a little bit tacky, smelled like strawberries and just left you feeling (laughs) like... you know? (laughs) You do? (laughs) Yeah, but there there have been so many changes in uh, these products that now your sex toys won't explode and they <laughs> you will feel really great with the lubes. There are literally, there's something out there for everyone, for everybody. And yes, that might mean looking at a, a toy, a vibrator, a dildo, or it might be a strap-on. It might be sensory play for some. Their toolkit could be some really great communication prompts and how to navigate that with an individual or with a partner. It could be some, you know, really great sex books to geek out on or erotica. I actually think it's more useful for, instead of me to tell you what you need in your toolkit, to actually spend some time and think what is exciting for me and what supports me in having the, you know, the best sex that I possibly can. I think that's a great tagline. Your sex toys won't explode, but you will. (laughs) I reckon we should keep that. There's something in that. Yeah, you need to get paid for that. What are wow. you doing? Get yeah. into sex tech. Maybe this is <laughs> yeah. my new my new uh, area. What? I mean, no longer film talk, but, you know, just to say crazy things about sex. I could do <laughs> oh, it. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're in sex toy brand. Wow, oh. maybe that's it. Wow. Stunning. Okay. Now's the time. Popcorn-scented lube. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Okay, for cinephiles. That's what I'm going to do. Sex toys for cinephiles. <laughs> that's going to be and- it. And toys that make the sound of the Netflix drum when you come. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And then your housemates are like, what's going on? You're like, nothing, just watching Netflix. God, okay. (laughs) This could be a new project for the three of us, I reckon. (laughs) I'm so curious to know, like, what drew you to this line of work? Were you always someone who was, like, quite sexually confident and liberated or was this something that you kind of found later on? I've always been really curious and interested Mm. in sex. Like I've always been fascinated by it, by bodies, relationships, sex. Dolly, Dr. Sealed section, that kind of thing? I ripped that right off. Hell yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. But I've by no means always been sexually confident. I think like everyone, you know, I grew up with very limited sex ed in a culture of of shame and taboo around discussing sex and relationships. So naturally, as I started studying, I also had to work through my own, you know, things 
around sex and to work through my own shame so that I could actually support people. But yeah, I, I, it was really around the time the Me Too movement was, you know, really erupting. There was research about the orgasm gap. I was having lots of conversations with people in my life. And I just thought, you know, we need to be able to access sex positive and shame free information around sex. And so I quit my um, job in corporate PR, started studying again, and ever since have done a range of certifications to, yeah, support me in, I guess, being the best practitioner that I can be. Far out. I think it's so interesting because really in our lifetime, the way that people talk about sex has changed so much. Like I remember even like at school studying like you know, personal development, as it was called. It was oh just Oh, my God. I forgot so, that it was called that. Yeah. That's it was so weird. So weird. Ugh. Personal development. It was just, like, so strangely taught. And I think even back in, you know, I'm, like, only 30 years old. Even back in, like, when I was studying in high school, like, consent wasn't even really talked about properly i think that has been like the thing in like my adult life like seeing how you know the idea of enthusiastic consent being like brought about has been one of the things so fascinating do you think that things like that are going to continue to change and continue to develop to be more i guess truthful or like more more realistic I hope so. And that they really have to. I mean, we can look at the incredible work of people like Chanel Contos, who has done so much to make consent education, to bring it to the forefront of the media conversation and to actually have it implemented into schools. We have to speak about sex. We have to speak about consent. And of course, it is you know, must be age appropriate. I think there's also an element where specific individuals and their needs, they need to have the option to tap in and out of information that is useful to them. We need information about LGBTQIA plus experiences and sex. So if we look at PE, PDHPE and what we were Mm -hmm. taught, it was wet dreams, penises come, put a condom on a banana, have penetrative sex to make a baby, and there were so many people who were left out of that. And, of course, really important information around consent, how to communicate, what consent is, how to check in with someone if they're not having a great time, how to voice your own needs. So I hope and I know that this will change because there are just there's so much noise and there are so many people who are making sure that it, it changes. If there was one thing, Georgia, that you wished everyone knew about sex, what would it be? Mm. I I would think I want to draw on what Emily Nagoski says and what we've actually already said today, and that is you are normal. Like if it comes to sex and you have a thought or a feeling, a desire, you are totally normal. And I think a lot of the shame we experience when it comes to our needs, what feels good, um, it can be surprising or shameful, concerning when we think, oh, wow, I didn't know my body could do that. I didn't know I'd be interested in that, whether that's anything from squirting, gushing, ejaculating to having this thought of this thing that you want to try um, at some point in your life. Like you are totally normal. And if there's a, a concern that you have, that there are people out there who can support you with it, that you don't have to go on having 
painful or uncomfortable or boring or lackluster sex with yourself or others, you know, there's a lot that you can do to have a great time in bed or out of the bed, wherever you choose to do it. What do your families and friends think about you being a sex coach? Does it mean you're the most interesting person at the dinner party (laughs) or are people just like, don't don't ask? (laughs) (laughs) They are so used to it that they are no longer shocked or interested, really. (laughs) They're like, oh, yeah, (laughs) that's what you do. Cool, next. Um, Yeah, I think at first... Uh, my family's always been, you know, really supportive. My friends have too, really, really supportive and and interested. Yeah, I, I guess they're just so used to it now that it, I think it started a conversation for every single person in my life. And, and at the start, it was like, oh, what does that even mean? What are you going to be doing? What, you know, why are you doing that? And I think that really does mirror what it's like to have any conversation around sex that at first it's sort of like information gathering it can feel a bit strange and you know we can even turn to shows shows like human resources where it has that it starts that conversation and you go away and you say what did you think about that hormone monster and oh my god that makes so much sense the the depression kitty that works to you know put a, a word to it, put an experience to it. Yeah. And I actually think that's something that I really loved about the series in that it is a therapeutic practice or modality for people to name their anxiety or to name a voice as being something else. So, you know, I'm, I might call it George. Oh, that's not me speaking. That's just that, you know, voice that's that holds me back or, or stresses me out. Um, so it's pretty cool to see it done in this way to, to think that, you know, emotions are energy in motion. And um, sometimes we, we aren't these things that make us feel bad. We aren't our anxiety. Whilst it can feel really defining and all-encompassing and, and crippling, that if you can externalise it, um, look at sort of any triggers, what what brings it on, and also have a range of tools and techniques to support you when you are anxious or horny or, you know, depressed or, or, or need support or in love <laughs> yeah. all at once. I mean, that's life. <laughs> yeah. That's life. That is totally life. But, yeah, that's, that's one thing I really loved about this show as well as, you know, just a natural way to, to start a conversation about sex because I think this is pretty new too. We're in a time where so, so many Netflix shows that are, you know, absolute hits are all about sex, which I think goes to show that we're curious, sex is interesting, and I think we're just yearning for these conversations to be really normal. Wow. So what you're saying basically is human resources is pretty accurate. Mm. <laughs> it's the only sex ed you'll ever need. Absolutely wow. not. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Um, but no, what I'm saying is I think, yeah, obviously it's informed. They've definitely had experts come on. They've done the research. They've done the research. They, they've got the lived experience to see. I mean, even what they did with Big Mouth as well, like what was so validating is that it, it made, you know, our experiences of puberty real and relatable where we could be like, oh, my God. I went through that too. And that was really embarrassing. And now we're seeing sort of that next generation come through where they're having babies and doing all the sort of, quote, ad- more adult things. I'm interested to see where this goes as well. 
Georgia, you're amazing. You're amazing. Yeah. I love talking to you. This, this rocks, is so dude. cool. And what an interesting, cool job you have. Georgia Grace, thanks so much for chatting to us today. Thank you so much for having me. I love that we've been able to really tie this conversation to a very good show. So thanks for having me. So I've seen Big Mouth. I've seen some of it. I've seen some of human resources as well now. But from my talk with Georgia just then, one thing that I really took from it was this idea of this being like a very nice and easy introduction to like having these uncomfortable talks or just kind of like hitting on the things, those universal feelings of like either puberty or just sex or just the way that the brain deals with other people out there in the world. A really beautiful way to communicate that and for people to kind of have that reassurance like, hey, we're all a little bit strange and have these little weird guys running around us to make sure that we're doing normal and strange things. Yeah, it's what I love about animation is like sometimes you can capture something very human and indefinable in these completely abstract and weird characters like you have the hormone monstrous and monsters from big mouth in this and then you have like the logic rock who again it's like if that was like a live action show you obviously couldn't really make it work but mm. for some reason randall park is a logic rock like makes sense to me i think that's something i found interesting about going to this as the spin-off now is like i always kind of thought big mouth seemed like a teenage version of inside out where mm-hmm. we're like communicating the idea of your hormones are represented by these characters. Now this almost feels like the Monsters, Inc. or Monsters University for grown-ups. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, this, you know, it's their job to like do all these weird little things. Yeah, to, like, yeah, yeah. You know, put it in your head or mm. put it in your body. Bum, bum. <laughs> or bum bum, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like it. Also, the cast is just phenomenal. It's crazy. I'm sitting there going like, that cannot be Rosie Perez doing a voice. <laughs> they could not have got Rosie Perez. I'm going crazy looking it up. Lo and behold, it is Rosie Perez, who who, who plays this ambition gremlin. Yeah, and then there's Hugh Jackman just randomly in it. Blew my mind seeing Hugh Jackman in the show. which is great. One observation is that if you look carefully, all the characters look like the voice actors. Mm. They have the same freaking nose. Ah. I didn't notice that, but I'm going to go back. But that's why I was like, that's Rosie Perez. It looks like her too. (laughs) But then I thought they must have just got someone to do a Rosie Perez impression. Yeah, it's a pretty iconic voice. We love to see it. (laughs) Human resources, it is more about relationships and archetypes of relationships with other people and the ones we have in in our adult lives. Like the love bug played by A.D. Bryant has her own relationship drama going on where she feels like she can't be a love bug because she's never been in love and doesn't really know how to have healthy relationships. Mm. And I always think that's so... It's a workplace comedy in the end sometimes yeah. as well. So people can relate to the idea of being bad at your job or having imposter syndrome. Yes. Or as well as that fact of like sometimes you get to adulthood and you realise that the way that you've been relating to people or taught to relate to people isn't going to work for you and you have to figure out a new way of being. And I think... That's why I really enjoy this show is that it does have those insights um, separate to Big Mouth that really do speak to becoming an adult and realising that as an adult you don't know as much as you think you do. In the way that Big Mouth is a coming of age around puberty, Mm. human resources is a coming of age, I want to say for the like late 20s, early 30s, (laughs) when like everyone in your life starts having kids and getting married or breaking up if they've been together through their 20s. 
and um, it's interesting, like Nick Kroll, who's the creator of Big Mouth and of Human Resources, made his writers kind of talk about what feelings and which of these like creatures, the hormone monster, the ambition, oh. goblin, were like the most important and most like front and center for them. Whoa, like right now. Yeah. Wow, okay. So it also feels like that is quite confessional in a way. Yeah, I guess so. Like I don't think that the ambition gremlin played by my favorite Rosie Perez would have at all been like in my roster of monsters when I was a teenager. No. But now when I'm hitting that period in my life, I'm like, yeah, yeah, Rosie Perez could be, you know, telling me what to do all the time. Yeah. As always, animation is such a good way to externalize these conflicts. It can be played up to its most extreme kind of endpoint, but at the end of the day, it's still quite relatable. Mm. And that is all for today's episode. Make sure you check out George's podcast, In Bed. And season one of Human Resources is out now on Netflix. Maybe you think we're in need of a bit of guidance. If so, DM us on Instagram at NetflixANZ and please leave us a five-star review on Apple. This podcast was recorded on Gadigal Land. Thank you to our executive producer, Priya Tayazade, and producer, Abby Lenton. And finally, thank you, dear listener, for listening to this show. Have a beautiful day and may the rest of your life be full of surprises that are pleasant. That was beautiful. Wow, I tried.